Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. The summer is here. It's cooled down a little bit. Why not talk about the weather every, every Sunday? It's fine. Um, hey, everybody. It's good to see all your faces. I feel like I can look around. And yeah, I, I know I know most of all of you. And it's, it's beautiful. Um, if you happen to be new, my name is Andy. Um, I'm the creative director here. I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff. Um, yeah, this is Vox Community. We started a couple years ago. You can learn all about us at voxoc.com. Um, it is a church that started out of a podcast, uh, lo and behold. Um, reason being was that uh, a, a particular podcast that I worked on um, with our friend Mike Erie uh, was talking about um, a lot of controversial issues, many challenging things that um, we felt the church really needed to hear uh, for this day. And so out of that, though, we felt, um, you know, you can't, you can't go into criticizing our own without trying to do something about it. And so hence, here we are as a, as a church in wrestling and trying to practice um, through a lot of these issues that uh, we've wrestled with. So uh, I'm really excited actually for today. Um, We've promised that we would be bringing stories back and we are here today to expand upon um, another story. Uh, Part of the conversation on the staff though has been instead of um, trying to look at the stage as a place to present and share somewhat of like a five minute tidbit of someone's process, um, that we were actually going to take certain weekends where we'd actually pull teaching out of it altogether. So this is actually going to be one of those weekends. So um, we're going to be doing some worship here in just a minute. Um, And then after that, I'll come back out um, and actually today, uh, Natalia and Ronnie will be sharing a bit um, about their journey um, and all of that. So we'll be be spending some serious time on the stage. Um, In the event um, that you've not heard uh, Ronnie and Natalia's story uh, before, we did do um, an entire Facebook Live on our Facebook page uh, probably about a month ago or three weeks ago. And they spent about um, an hour um, on that actually uh, talking about it too and interacting with a lot of folks who had questions. So what we found is since that time, um, a lot of folks have had a lot more questions about um, their journey and realizing that um, the church needs to kind of continue to discuss this and we wanted to really respond to that well. So uh, we're really excited uh, to be able to do that um, today. So um, I do have uh, one announcement. Uh, Bob, if you could throw it up there. Hey, yo, another brewery meetup. So um, if you happen to like uh, craft beer uh, such as me, um, I will be, um, it's actually August 9th. um, So I'm going to have to change that. Don't write it down. Don't hold me to it. Um, August 9th at 7 p.m. Uh, down in my neck of the woods in San Juan Capistrano, a little spot called Docent Brewing. So we're going to go ahead and meet up there um, and just spend some time together, just hang out, get to know each other. We did one at Bootleggers here in Fullerton uh, a few months ago. Uh, about 25, 30 people showed up. It was tons of fun, and um, I've been getting a lot of demand to do it again. So going to swing down to some folks in South County. Uh, if you want to make the drive, um, I'd love to, love to see you guys down there. So... Um, But uh, that is it uh, for me today. I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to Izzy, and we'll get the morning started. Good morning. So for those of you who are familiar with Vox, this uh, chair is always like an ominous thing, right? We always have bad news. It's not bad news today. I promise. It's good. It's good. It's good. Is this uh, between two ferns? (laughs) Have a seat, my friend. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Perfect. 
Hello, my name is Andy Lara, and uh, <laughs> this is uh, the first episode of Between Two Palms um, <laughs> with Ronald Roa and Nit, Nitty uh, Roa. Nitty. Um, no. Oh, we just needed the levity. Yes. <laughs> oh, thanks, Bob. You could pull that. It was too funny. We had to. <laughs> Gary and I were dying upstairs just thinking about it, and so we, we, had, to, we had to pull it out. Um, <laughs> the younger generation got that. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, you for know, sure. Millennials. You're so smart. <laughs> Um, all right. So here we go. Yeah. Let's spend some time together. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, Ronnie and I were uh, talking this weekend about, um, what we wanted to do and, uh, specifically, um, so Ronnie, like I mentioned before when it came out, uh, Ronnie and Natalia have shared a bit of their story, um, on our Facebook live. I'd highly recommend going to check that out. Um, that's going to feel slightly a little bit different than today. We'll, we'll kind of touch briefly on, um, the stuff with the story itself, but, um, the, the most interesting thing, uh, that recently happened. Um, was actually with a new feature um, that came out on Instagram um, with the stories, if you're not uh, familiar, if you're not millennial. <laughs> and um, uh, with Instagram, this thing called stories where you can just take a picture or video of anything and you just kind of watch those through. It doesn't post to your feed. But anyhow, there's a little tag where you can just enter like, ask me a question. And then it, if you type in a question, then people can respond to it. But um, they offered out you know, folks to ask questions about their story and generated, like you said, what was like 50 questions like, kind of per person when you guys mm-hmm. put it out. Um, so it really kind of said, wow, there's, there's still this other dialogue and this other conversation that we can have um, around the same type of thing. I think in a lot of cases, um, when affairs occur and there's you know, a, a public reconciliation process and that whole thing's known, um, a year later, it's like, oh yeah, whatever happened about that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of, and then you know, who knows who's left in the dust and what else has happened since. Right. And so um, I think some of today we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about um, some of the post-process and kind of the ongoing of you know, the aftermath and the afterthought of, of all of that. Yeah. So um, uh, one thing I, I kind of uh, wanted to do, Ronnie, you can interject otherwise too. Um, I kind of wanted uh, Natalia to even just share a little bit about um, you. You know, we don't know um, a whole lot about you. Um, just a little bit of, of your backstory, kind of um, maybe how you arrived into kind of worship music and some of that uh, journey as, as we kind of then, uh, maybe then we could kind of take that to set up um, a short summary of then um, the story itself. And then uh, we'll have some questions that we'll post on screen uh, that we kind of pulled from that interaction and um, we'll, we could talk about some of those things too. Great. So so maybe we'll just kind of start there. Yeah. Uh, my name is Natalia. I'm married to this guy. And uh, we met t- uh, 12 years ago. I was at a church. I was singing. Uh, I got brought out to sing. And he was outside. And he said to one of his friends, I'm going to marry that voice. Had no idea who I was. Hadn't seen me yet. And uh, This is a little bit like John telling the story about he's the disciple that Jesus loved. But then... <laughs> like you- he came inside, and we didn't date for like two years. So that's well interesting. So slow. Um, <laughs> slow. That's how I like to take things. Um, so we met at a church in uh, West Covina. And then uh, we both were part of a church inland where we met, got married there, um, and it was awesome. We had 800 people at our wedding, and it was crazy, and I would recommend doing that because you get set up with gifts. (laughs) Um, 
So yeah, we lived in Corona for a bit, moved out here, and uh, we have two boys, Dallas, who is five, uh, going on 15. He is like a little mini Ronnie. If you see him, you'll know. And Maverick, who is six months, he is 25 pounds. He's basically Hulk. He is huge. <laughs> uh, he's already wearing like 18-month clothing, and he's six months old. It's wild. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We, this is our first time, I think Ronnie has shared this, um, that we've been at church together for three years so I've worked at a different church he's been at a different church and so Sundays were really tough because our son would always wonder where we were going or who he was going with and we didn't realize the divide that that was having but it really has been rad just being able to drive together part of that is the fallout of our story and sort of what's happened which I know we'll get into but um, so Vox is sort of the uh, the culmination of that it really is a a coming back and um, and Vox has been such a healing place for us and for me personally and now for our family and so uh, yeah, I'm grateful. This is actually our first time publicly sharing our story uh, with any community. So, right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being yeah. for being able to do that. Um, so, yeah, maybe um, let's start there for for a lot of the folks who who haven't heard. Um, what is the story? What is the story? Where do we start? Yeah. So, uh, married for you know a few years, and um, we had a kid together, and we're in ministry, uh, and sort of you know in a mega church culture, uh, living the dream. I guess you know it's like you're a public figure, you're known, um, and and everything in the community that we were living in really just kind of felt surreal at the time. Uh, and I just remember getting a phone call uh, from my wife saying, "Hey, can you come downstairs? And uh, we need to talk." And I didn't really know what was going on. I, I knew there was something because I could hear it in her voice and. Um, when she picked me up, she was crying and she confessed in that moment that she'd been having an affair. Um, and it was, yeah, it was like, people ask like, what was that like? What was it like hearing it for the first time? And it's like, uh, I, I, the only thing I can liken it to is like movies. And so it's like when in a movie, when a bomb goes off and there's that ringing in your ear and then there's like the smoke and the haze. And it kind of felt like that in real life. Like, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what was what was up, what was down, and I was still just trying to like get my balance. And um, I think, thankfully, I had been in therapy with a therapist who I called right away. Um, and the best advice he gave me, and I and I would transfer this advice to anybody, which is, anytime you have like a, a, a traumatic experience happen in your life, like no major life decisions for eight weeks. You know, just really take it slow and sort of let things kind of settle before you make any decisions. And that was huge um, because I've had we've had conversations with people who've made rash decisions in the moment of pain and trauma. And I get it. I understand it because uh, you want it to go away. But to be able to sit in it was, was good. And so, um, yeah, that created a separation for us for several weeks, um, going through intense therapy and and processing it. And, and here we are. I mean, it's been several years now, and here we are. Uh, and we're finding that uh, people have questions about betrayal and forgiveness and what does that look like and how do you walk that through. And uh, I think we're realizing that in maybe church settings, it's not safe to talk about. And maybe there's a lot of shame and guilt around our own personal failures. Um, and so we, we typically find people going into hiding. And uh, I think what's been revealed for us is that when we share our story, um, people find hope and find healing and feel like, oh, I'm human, just like that person is human. And I think there's that's what we want is to integrate our humanity into like our lives, so. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say, so, um, kind of on that side, it's kind of like the receiving end of, of the circumstances. Can, um, would you mind sharing kind of the, the process of the other side, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's never easy to talk about like, you know, your sin paraded around. Mm. Um, but we have found like 
such healing by other people finding healing in their journey by us sharing. Um, yeah, so I think confessing like was the scariest thing I've ever done, but I knew there was no other way uh, to kind of survive from that. I thought I was going to go the rest of my life hiding this. I was hopeful for that. I've done that with many things in my life as my therapist and I dug down in. So it was kind of, a, yeah, just something woven in my life and how I process things. I would just hide it, suppress it. And uh, I was hoping to do that with this affair. And um I confessed and I realized there was, you know, two options here. I either fully dive into healing and restoration and probably one of the hardest journeys I've ever been on, or I could just kind of, you know, have this broken, desperate life away from him. And so um, I think because it was so public, I felt um, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. And I think that's what we're finding now, especially in the churches and probably even culturally, it's a lot more acceptable for a man to have an affair and talk about it and share about it. Um, But on the other spectrum, when a woman does, she is marked with that scarlet letter. And I've, I've shared this before on our on our Facebook Live, I think how there's many names for women and there's no names for a man. Even mm-hmm. even in the world, they, it's just not. And, you know, I'm a homewrecker. There's all these things that I carried with me and women carry with me. And I think, you know, if you even go to a bookstore, there's not that many books written uh, for women about infidelity. It's more about how they survive their husband's infidelity mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, the husband writing about their process through their affair and women just in society kind of get the back burner. And I feel that now I see that now. And women who have come to me, um, who have lived in shame and guilt and have never shared, they had an affair 10, 20 years ago because of that same thing. They're so afraid of those words of slut or these things that they've carried with them for years. And I, I'm sick of it. And so I feel like, um, this is our chance to fight back and push back on those. Mm. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, for one, thank you, of course, for, for sharing uh, that side of it and um, being here and vulnerable. We thank all you guys for, for doing that too. So, um, how long um, how long since that has uh, taken place, or I guess how long was kind of your what other churches and mega churches, you know, when this comes about and this kind of thing is confessed um, yeah, with staff and that type of thing, mm-hmm. you enter into a reconciliation mm-hmm. process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that to give some people some context? Because I, I, I know with what we've talked about, how that's almost been a bit of a hinge, even that what's caused even kind of further tension, you know, with a lot of this. And mm-hmm. I would just kind of be I'm curious to share with everyone what that was kind of like and right. um, if, it, if it felt right, if it felt good, and maybe what's, what's kind of still there from that sure yeah so i think uh one of the experiences that we've had and so we're going to share from our perspective and our experience so that's really all we have but uh from our experience being in a in a mega church um i don't know where where this came from my, my best estimation is that this is the church organization trying to protect itself at all cost protect its image um, at the sake of the people that it was promised to serve and and love and care for. Um, But this idea that we would take somebody who's fallen in sin and bring them up on a stage or talk about that publicly to confess it to the entire congregation, um, to me is is, is just ludicrous. I don't know where it comes from. I I honestly don't. Again, my best estimation is this is the organization trying to protect its own image. Um, And what, what happens subtly in a church, and this is what I've noticed, is when you do that, you create a culture of shame and hiding from the people in the, in, the, in, in the audience because 
everyone sitting there is going to go, I'm never going to confess anything because I don't want that happening mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Uh, and so you push everybody into hiding. You push everybody into shame. I was going to say, well, we'll do open mic right after this <laughs> if you guys want to get up here and just, you know, put it all out there. Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and I certainly think people are entitled to privacy, you know? I mean, there, there's a level of privacy that people should get and people deserve. Um, and I think... It, I was gonna say, yeah, because there's a difference between in keeping something in secret and keeping things right. private, right? Versus, right yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think, uh, you know... I'll hear people quote, you know, passages in Timothy about confession in front of the church, and it's like, okay, first of all, these are home churches. These are small communities of five to ten people sitting in a home versus, you know, 10,000 people at a church in, you know, in Irvine. It's like, whoa. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Um, and so uh, I think that was, that was a painful process. Um, someone had asked before, I don't know if it was one of the questions, but it's like, if you could have had it private, would you have wanted it private? And I think certainly yes. I mean, it would have been um, a lot better for us, but you know, this is, the, this is where we're at. Like this is what we've been, the cards we've been dealt. And so we're trying to do the best that we can. That's why we really feel an obligation to share this story because it's out publicly now. So let's, let's just help people publicly with it and process it. So that was a painful thing to have it out be known and you you know, so I don't know. Do you have anything to share about that? Yeah, I think, were you asking about like the restoration? Yeah, process? a bit about the process and like, did it, yeah, I mean, right. Ronnie's obviously shared some of the feelings of, of A, where it's come from and then what it, but what if, uh, yeah, especially for you, maybe specifically, what, like, how did that feel? Did it feel correct? Did it feel right? Was it right. good? Was so, it bad? Yeah, it was through, thankfully, I was able to receive therapy, which was the biggest reason we're healthy er today. Um, but we were given a restoration team, each of us, which was very, I think, well-meaning. However, these individuals um, had no experience with what we have been through. So it'd be like me trying to help someone, you know, with the loss of a child. I would have no idea how to, I could sit with them, but I couldn't give them advice. I've never been there. And so it kind of felt um, just like a process. I had to sit and do my due diligence if I wanted to ever walk back onto this church again. And uh, there was one woman who I had reached out to on my own who had gone through the same thing. And she was huge and instrumental in just sitting with me and spending hours just talking. But I had reached out to her. She had been through this before. And so that was something really big for me. Um, so and then once we completed this restoration, which that was a struggle too, like um, people from the outside judging our health, um, you know, just based on other people. It was a really weird dynamic. And we would sit with our therapists and struggle more with the restoration team than our yeah. own <laughs> than our own issues. And, um, and then having to be brought on stage uh, for the staff meeting where there's a couple hundred people um, was really difficult. You know, you stand in front of all these people that you've known that don't talk to you anymore. Um, you know, you used to do ministry with them every week and now you see them and you're just kind of like this... Um, that you feel like, like a, a leper, leper yeah, yeah. Um, because no one talked to you after this. No, you weren't, I was taking off of emails that I used to be on. I, it was just a really awkward thing to then walk up and have to, and they're like, and here she is, and she's now here. And it was like, I felt like a trophy, like I had accomplished something, but still so broken inside. And I remember in that moment thinking, no one ever on the staff, uh, let alone this church, will ever feel safety. Um, if there can't be, if we're paraded on a stage like this. And so I think my, my heart and our journey now is to create safety for those who have never felt it, who have maybe felt shame of being paraded or, um, yeah, shamed in that way. But I think, uh, 
yeah, but it's made us who we are now and being able to stand up here and share it. Yeah, you know, that, and that's, that's kind of, I mean, obviously not having gone through the same thing, mm-hmm. my relatability like only goes so far. Um, I relate absolutely to the inner workings of a church and its culture and its <laughs> environments. And um, I think it's these types of, these kinds of conversations are the very things that, you know, kind of irked us, you know, two years ago when we started this church, because mm-hmm. it was just like, ah, oh, these, there's certain aspects of the growing culture of how we, you know, build church. And you, you start to question why, why do these things exist? Yeah. Why, why did this become like this larger public right. process? Like right. the, we really, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, imagine like Salem witch trials, like dragging, you know, <laughs> right. people out into the street kind of thing. Right. And it's just like, unless they decide or, or, you know, deny or confess, then this is going to be your judgment, right? right? Totally. You know, to the community. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating, you know, to see that this is its state now, but how, how damaging and how hurtful it could actually right. be. Right. Um, okay. So, um, and that's kind of the, to my next point, you know, it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, okay, you're going to go through this reconciliation process. And then now you're healed, right? Hey, you're all better. So now you can come up on stage. <laughs> And you can right, sing again right, and right. you can teach again. And it's like, it's, it's this idea of like, well, if you perform in this tiny window to show that you're capable right. or you've, you've kind of handled this, well then we'll go ahead and we'll give you back the stage. Right. You know, let's forget about though other people who might've made it to the stage, right. never vetted, mm-hmm. like, you know, never mm-hmm. like considered, are they even reconciled? What, what are they carrying around? Is that right. even okay for us? You know? So, um, that's probably a whole other issue. Um, that being said, so you went through that process and here we are now, yeah. however long later. And yep. um, I'm not going to assume like, great, you're just healed and everything's awesome. <laughs> sure. um, we're all in process. So um, so when I started the conversation, I mentioned that uh, this kind of got instigated by a feature on Instagram where a bunch of questions came in. So um, I think uh, we pulled some of these questions to kind of use as a, a next kind of phase to discuss some of the, the process after. Yep. Um, a lot of folks wondering like, well, what now? Like, you know, these are feelings I have or what do you mm-hmm. do about this or that? So uh, let's start there. And um, and then I've got some other questions along the way. Um, okay. Yes. I'm new at this marriage thing. How can I protect my husband and myself from having an affair? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I think the first thing uh, we probably should talk about is this idea that affairs happen in a vacuum. Uh, I don't think anybody ever wakes up and goes, you know what, I'm going to ruin my life and my family. Today will be the day. You know, that just, that just doesn't happen. Um, it, contrary to what people think, you know, it just, it just doesn't. Um, riding in a car alone with a, a female coworker at one time doesn't create an affair. Like, it just doesn't happen. There's always something underlying inside of a person. Um, and, and what we discovered for us in our experience is that, um, and I'm speaking for myself, you can, you can jump in, but uh, safety. So we, as a church, we talk about being safe to belong, and this is the safest place to talk about anything. Um, our marriage was not the safest place to talk about anything, um, especially when it came to sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. just wasn't safe. Um, part of it, you know, is upbringing. Part of it is culture. Uh, but it was just this taboo topic that we just could never discuss. And so what happens when you're in a marriage and the person that you're supposed to share the most intimate part of your life with is not safe? Um, what do you do? I mean, it's, it's, it's vice versa. It's both ways. And so what happens? How does a person uh, engage or navigate those conversations? And I think uh, we all often ask, people ask this question to us, and it's like, man, I just hope that nothing is off limits in your marriage. I hope that you can, you can have honest dialogue about your, your hurts, your pains, your struggles, your joys, your happiness, you know, all the different things in your life that you're, you're coming and bringing that to the table and sharing all of that. Because if there's something that's hidden, that's the thing that you have to be careful about. So. Yeah. Yeah, our therapist, um, he helped us, 
it's like put this rule in place called uh, we can't walk on eggshell rule and we have to share what we're thinking, which is such a novel idea, like <laughs> share what you're really thinking. Um, but that was huge for us because I was scared to say things. He was scared to bring things up. And when you actually say the very thing that you're so terrified that you're gripping on so hard to, it kind of loses its power and you realize that you can't have a conversation. And sometimes mm. they're hard and they're long and you cry through them and um, it can create distance for a moment, but it always brings you back together. And that is through a lot of therapy. And a lot of those conversations happened in our therapist's office because we still were getting to know what's safe and what's not. And so um, I think that, and also too, you know, if... If it wasn't this guy and the affair, it would have been something or someone else. And so I think that's what a lot of people, I had people ask me questions like, well, were you attracted? And I'm like, it wasn't even about that. It was my own unhealth. And if it wasn't him, I might've turned to narcotics. Like who knows, it was my own unhealth. And so I think, um, you know, a lot of people are, kind of afraid of therapy or think they don't need it or need to see a therapist or maybe they've kind of suppressed some things from their childhood or former relationships and um I told someone this, I said, you know, if you had cancer, you would pay any amount of money, right? To go and get healed, to go and figure this out and find healing. And I think in a way, some of the baggage that we carry is like cancer of the heart and of the soul. And we're just carrying that around and we're too afraid to spend money on a therapist to kind of deal with that. And so we carry that through life and what a difference it's been. Um, you know, we've had to, thankfully a lot of our sessions were paid for, but we had to pay for a lot more of them. And I, I mean, that was money well spent spent and I would easily pay that again to be healthy and live life feeling lighter and not carrying those dark things in my soul. So, yeah. Yeah. And just to add to that, uh, the therapy thing, you're going to hear us talk a lot about that. And we're just, we're, we're, you know, huge proponents of getting counseling and therapy and not that that's the fix all for everything, but, um, when you go through and do the hard work of therapy, um, it's like, it's like someone showing you uh, uh, yourself in a mirror for the first time. Because um, you, you, you don't really kind of, you just, there, there's, you're blind to some parts about yourself. And then when you sit across a therapist and then all of a sudden the mirror it comes up and it exposes these parts of yourself that you go, oh, wow, I really am like that. Or I didn't know. Or that's why I feel the way that I do. Or that's why I respond or react to these situations because this is inside of me and I didn't know that. And so I think um, for anybody who's on the fence of should I or, or is it a good thing? And even as a preventative measure, Measure. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a marriage and you go, oh, we're healthy, like, I'd say, like, this is a preventative measure. This yeah. is a way for you to, like, actually dig in and go, maybe there's some things beneath the surface that you haven't yeah. talked about. And they can act as a mediator to help get some of that stuff out in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would I would say the exact same thing. That they say the same with dehydration. You know, if you're already at a spot where you're de- you're you're feeling yeah. a certain way, you're thirsty, it actually means you're already dehydrated. Right. You always right. think like, Oh, I'm thirsty, I'm gonna get dehydrated. It's like, no, you're actually already yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so you have to be, you know, drinking a lot of water even right. just to stay up. But I I would totally agree with you. Therapy, um, absolutely as a preventative. Um, and I mean it's just that's the thing too. Like I haven't looked at uh, I'm I'm actually in therapy, I've been in therapy for um I mean on and off since I was 22, so like 14 years. My childhood. People. <laughs> um, Should we turn this around? We'll yeah, interview so let's, you. Let's, yeah, go yeah. Ahead, let's, let's, let's go and flip this around. But, um, you know, it's even in my, uh, you know, now that I'm a dad and a husband, I've just realized like, no, I mean, there's other things I make room and time in my life mm-hmm. for. Why wouldn't I care about right. this as much? Exactly. Right. You know, even if it's not cancerous. I mean, for many of us, even right. just learning how to go to the doctor often to keep checked up. Right. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, building that into, you know, finding a way to afford that in your life. Right. You you know, and if you get all Dave Ramsey about it, you'll quickly find and you're like, no, oh, man, maybe I should just go out to dinner less. <laughs> get some therapy instead. Maybe a little more healthy for me. 
Okay, <laughs> um, so let's hit uh, question number two. Okay, how did the affair get so public? If you had a choice, yeah, Ronnie, I guess you answered this. Uh, if you had a choice, would you guys um, have kept it silent? So, um, yeah, so, I mean, would we say that, yeah, is it so public mainly because of just where yeah, it took place? the way that it was handled and, it, you know, you know it's like, again. And church people love to pray for it and tell other churches about it. <laughs> so I heard from people I haven't talked to in years because at the church staff meeting, they prayed for Ronnie and I. And uh, we knew another church that was going to share it. It's not that the praying was bad, but how did you hear about it? Like, that's just crazy. Crazy, right? Yeah. Like, why is that? But I think we use prayer as a good intention to tell gossip, is what my point mm -hmm. is. And that was really hurtful because it was people I haven't talked to in years. I'm like, now all of a sudden you care. And what's crazy is now that we're okay, I don't hear, like, no one checked in and said, right. hey, so are you doing right. Like, it was all about the damn, like, they, like, the brokenness of it. And no one really cared to see the aftermath. And so that was what was hurtful. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, let's hit another one. And by the way, if you guys have questions along the way, please um, use the text messaging thing, send them in there. And uh, we'll, I mean, I think we're interacting, you know, with this on a yeah. lot of different spaces. So uh, what is the best way to be there for someone who's going through uh, something similar? Yeah, well, you can share from your side. I'll share from my side. Um, for me, uh, for, uh, here's where I'll start. So one of the things I experienced a lot of initially was uh, re-victimization. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with what is re-victimization, um, uh, when it all went down, for some reason, people felt the need to ask me, what part did you play in this affair? What did you do? And I, and, and, and I would just sit there and I'd go, if, if there was an abused spouse here who was beaten by her drunk husband, nobody would ask her, what did she do to get beat? Right. And yet you're asking me these questions. And so I, the first thing I would say is, you know, don't ask those questions. You know, they're, stay away from the, like, trying to figure out the processing and all that. If you're going to be there, I think the best thing is to just take this cue of, let me just sit with you in the pain and suffering of what this looks like. Um, and, you know, that, that goes back even in, you know, Jewish culture and to yep. sit Shiva and to be with somebody in the midst of pain and suffering. I think Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asking his three best friends to sit and be with him and to pray over him. I think those are, like, the key ways that you can sit and be with people, um, check in. Uh, you know, I, it, it was brought to my attention that, you know, I, I share this pretty flippantly. Um, the, the, the sending me text messages of verses and stuff wasn't helpful. Um, that's not true for everybody. And so I recognize that. That's not true for everybody. Yeah, there's other people that that's a, that's a big deal. But I think asking permission is probably a good way to start. Like, hey, what's the best way that I can help you? Um, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I send you these text messages? I think those are, those are like key components um, to sit with somebody and be there for them uh, in the midst of that. So... That was, that's, that's my side. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, um, I would say if you're going to be there, be there. And if you're not, just disappear. Because I had mm. a lot of people um, who didn't, who were kind of on the fence, like, wait, can I trust you? Are you okay? Are you safe? Are you a leper? But I know that God has grace and they just didn't know. And through their confusion, they tried to be there and it was just a mess. And because they would push and pull and I ended up feeling unsafe and I didn't know who was my friend who like, it was just a scary place to be in. And um, honestly, my parents were the biggest um, 
advocates. I've lived with them while we were separated and they didn't ask questions. They were just there. They were just there. My mom would make sure I didn't eat. I, I was in the best shape of my life because I lost so much weight from not eating because uh, I just literally couldn't. So my mom would try to make me meals and smoothies and they were just there. We'd watch movies. And um, I think that's just the most important thing is just being present and, um, you know, let the therapist do what the therapist has gone to school and trained to do and just be there. I think that's the biggest thing. That's a good point, right? I think like take the pressure off of yourself to have to be a therapist. Right. Like you don't have to do that. Like that's not your role. And I don't think anybody, at least that wasn't my expectation. And, and if a person wants to share, like just let them share. Like you don't need to have a response for that. You can just go, wow, that's, I can't imagine what that would be like. And I'm here for you. I think reiterating that and allowing space to just sort of breathe and be is huge. You know? And I think a lot of times people feel like I have to have the answer. Maybe, right. maybe it's because it reminds us of our own fragility. Right. Like we see somebody in a broken state and we go, oh, that scares me because I could be there. And so we have to have an answer so we can secure that. But it's okay to have that process be sort of ambiguous and not known. And yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it feels like even as Christians in this idea of commission and sharing gospel, like there's this very active element towards those who then show brokenness, right? Okay, mm. well, now this is the opportunity. I'm supposed to do something here, right. Right. you know, like to, there's a win at the end of this and I could right. either I can be a part of that or like, okay, right. how can I bring God into this situation? And right. then that'll heal the problem. I mean, you instantly start thinking that, that you're that changeover. Yeah. But the interesting part about it is it seems that ultimately any of those other efforts otherwise are intended to bring us closer to God, right. you know, right? I mean, that's really us sharing gospel with others brings us closer to God right. as a mm-hmm. part of it. Whereas exactly what you're saying, you know, being available to sit with someone just to be a non-anxious presence, mm-hmm. you know, is that way of bringing God closer, mm-hmm. yes. you know, the same way that we might hope that God would sit with us right. and just, and just so kind good. of be gentle and mm-hmm. provide comfort and provide mercy. You know, I mean, right. that's, that's how um, it seems to me we could continue to embody that kind of empathetic spirit. Right. right. Absolutely. Um, all right, cool. Let's, uh, let's see what else we got. I know we got a couple more. Um, after the affair, did you ever feel pressure about how people would view you as a pastor? It sounds like. Yeah. Um, I, thing is, pastor is just what I do. It's not who I am. Uh, so I didn't feel that pressure about any of that sort of stuff. And, and, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not the kind of person who's going to hide behind a facade. Like I'm a broken human being and I'm happy to share my brokenness with people. So I think that speaks to a larger culture um, in churches, which, you know, um, is that we, we tend to like idolize and celebritize pastors and elevate them to this place that I think is actually really unhealthy. Um, and, and I think like, you know, when, what happens when we, in, we make the pastor's role more important than say the chef, you know, or, or, you know, the guy who works in you know, accounting or whatever, it's like, there, we, we all have our ministry. We all have our mission and mine just happens to be here. And it happens to be on a stage, which I think perpetuates a little of that, which I love that Vox, you know, that teaching and the pastorship, like the person up here is not the focal point. And that's why we have a team of people to share different voices, to not make one person the sole thing about why we gather. And I think so for me, like there was never really any pressure. It was just kind of like, okay, the story's out. Um, how do I, how do I, what do I do with it now? Like I can either try to like hide it and act like it didn't happen or not talk about it, or we can take background as my wife shared earlier. Like we can, we can redeem and, and, you know, pull back some of this and help other people. And we've seen that. So it's actually been a really healing thing for us. So. Um, I mean, I guess in the same way, Natalie, I mean, uh, you know, being a a great singer and, you know, 
kind of joint rejoining worship and getting into some of that? Like, mm-hmm. do some of those, do you feel any kind of that sense of the, those yeah, pressures? I think, and- I think when that question came, I was just kind of like, that just shows our problem with churches and how we view pastors and worship leaders or anybody, because that wasn't even a thought. Like my concern and my number one thing was our health and our family surviving this, if we were going to survive. And, you know, I had someone ask me too, like, what's it like? Or, um, what's one advice you have as a pastor's wife? I'm like, that's a, ask anybody this. Like we all are, like all of our husbands are on different journeys, different, like they all work. It doesn't matter if he's a pastor or not, but I think that very question alone perpetuates this celebrity idea of pastors or worship leaders. And I think it's just gotta stop. I don't know how, but... No, it's fine. We're going to fire our whole teaching team tomorrow. So we're good. <laughs> we got a plan. We got a plan. It's going to be me, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm not even going to comment on that because I got too much to say about that. Um, okay, I think this might be the last one and I have a couple. Uh, do you struggle uh, with... Okay, yeah, Ronnie, do you struggle with the thought that she might do it again? And if you do, how do you work through That's that? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, hmm, how to answer that question? I... The answer's, the answer's really no, uh, but again, I'm only going to share from my experience, so this isn't like a blanket statement about anybody who's gone through it. Uh, I got to watch the process. You know, I sat front row in the processing with her life um, and my life together, uh, and so, you know, I watched her going to the deepest parts of her brokenness and exposing that, and, and our therapist <laughs> would say, you know, I don't think you're going to drink the poison twice. You know, it's, it's very rare that someone who'd gone through this much work and had done this much processing is going to drink the poison twice. And again, that goes to the first question, which is how do you prevent it? And I think we've, we've worked so hard at getting to a place where we're safe to talk about anything, you know, and, and this has become even more true now because we're part of Vox. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to if we're going to say from a stage that Vox is the safest place to talk about anything, we then have to be the safest people to talk about anything, right? Like we have to be that in our own life. And so, um, you know, part of forgiveness, and this is a hard thing, and, and stay with me on this because not everybody gets this right away. Part of forgiveness is extending a grace that says you're free to do that again. And, and that's a hard pill to swallow. You know, when the, when the therapist sat, said that to me and we talked about this thing and it sort of started to grow in my heart and, and I started making connections with, you know, scripture. Um, grace has this transformative power when it is abused. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul says that where sin abounds, should grace abound all the more. In other words, if I'm just forgiven, well, I just keep going and sinning, right? Because I'm forgiven. But what happens when you've been forgiven of something so deep and so grave? You are, you are transformed by that. You realize, no, I don't want to do this. While I can be forgiven, there's no reason for me to keep going down this road of doing these destructive things because, because I got this grace that's shown to me in my life. And so I think um, that's, a, that's a hard thing to grab a hold of. And, and that's one of those things where, you know, forgiveness is not an event, it's a process. <laughs> so for me, this process of going, here's the grace to do it again, essentially. Because the alternative of that is, what do you become, a controlling husband who looks at every text messages, every email, you're looking over your shoulder wondering where you're at, you know, all these things. It's like, that's not the marriage that I want. I want a marriage where we're free to choose each other and to love each other in that place. And so, you know, am I, do I think about that? No, I don't, I don't really think about it much anymore. But that, again, that's just us. That's the process that we've gone through. Um, I think we put in a lot of hard work to get there. Um, and we're, we've still got a long ways to go. Like there's still these moments where it doesn't always feel safe, you know, to talk about certain things. And so part of that is my own shame, you know, part of that is my own guilt, you know, and, 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 
I think in my head, if I share this, am I going to get the flinch? You know, the flinch, like, like is that going to happen? And if that happens, then, then I, then I want to turn inward and I don't want to share those things. And so that, that's, a, that's a fight. That's a constant fight to push into intimacy. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to get here and, uh, wrap up in just a second, but, uh, Natalia kind of wanted to ask you and then Ronnie, you can uh, comment as well. Um, uh, two, I have two questions. One first, um, uh, what might you offer as far as advice for someone who actually might be amidst, you mm-hmm. know, uh, an occurring affair or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in that state earlier, you kind of shared, like, if this is happening in your marriage, you know, you kind of watch out, but maybe mm-hmm. more specifically, like what, um, what might you offer for anyone that might be kind of connecting with this right now? Yeah. Shoot. That's tough. Um, yeah, I think fine. The first person that knew about it, um, besides Ronnie was this woman that I reached out to that I knew years ago, um, who had gone through a similar thing. And I called her on the phone crying and we made a plan of when I was going to tell him and, um, you know, the process. And she talked me through his reactions and it could go this way or this way or this way. And, um, it was scary, but I think, you know, regardless what the situation affair, if you're, you know, alcohol, anger, whatever it is, is to get with your spouse or best friend or who parent, whoever you're closest to and confess it. And, um, I know that's, I mean, it's easy to stand up here and say it, having walked through it, but it was one of the hardest things to ever do. But being on the other side of it, the freedom and grace, I think I used to be so judgmental. I used to be that Christian on my high horse, and I would look at other people and think, how could they, or how could they do that? We had a fair that had cheated on her husband multiple times, and I remember driving home, uh, this was prior to the affair, thinking, I told Ronnie, I can't believe she did that. I would never, like, how do you do that? They have kids, and just so naive, and you know, you fast forward, and here I am in the same situation, and um yeah, I think confessing it um, and finding a therapist is the biggest thing um, to help you through that process. We were in twice a week seeing our therapist, each separately and each together. And it was so hard. It was hard finding childcare. I had. I felt like a full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> it was so hard because not only are you sitting in that therapy, then we'd come home and we need to process that together and even our separate times with our therapists. And so... Um, yeah, and I think find a community that's safe. You know, you need people. We needed, there were some great friends who um, just sat with us and hung out with us. Uh, Jeff and Heidi, they're great friends of ours now. They um, would just come over and they were one of the first couples to just kind of come and have dinner with us and make us feel like it's okay. Uh, we had a lot of people flee from us. And so just knowing that there's safety. And so find those people that um, can sit with you. But that's a, such a hard question because it just freaking sucks. So. Right. Absolutely. And finding, uh, Jack talked a little bit about this, like with his talk and the idea of betrayal, you know, mm-hmm. the you know, part of confession almost before that, though, is the hope that you found safety in some kind yeah. of community prior right. to that. Right. And so, um, you know, that's tough, but whatever that looks like, but even like you said, if it's even just one best friend, right. you know, if it's, um, or even just a therapist where you're right. like, at least I know there's some agreement of safety in this right. conversation. Totally. Like, how do I even begin to process this out? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that you, you realize, and this is just a hard truth, um, is that in a situation when you go through something traumatic like that, people will either step in and lean in hard or they will, they'll be out. And, and I think it, it, you just kind of realize like who's really there and who's really not. And, and that's not, that's not to say like, um, they don't like you're, we're going to, you know, 
those people are, we're gonna talk bad about them. Like, I get it. Like, it's a hard situation. Not everybody can step into that. That's okay, you know? And I think that's true in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, <laughs> Jesus said, pray for me, and they're falling asleep. Not everybody can go into this process with you, and that's okay. I think showing grace and extending it to them um, is, is huge. I think to your point um, about um, if you're going through it right now or, or, or you're just listening to all this, uh, I'm reminded of that feeling of like, I could never, I would never do that. I could never see myself in an affair. I'm always leery of people who, who find themselves saying, I would never do that because uh, it was Peter who said, I would never deny you. And we all know how that ended. So it's like, you know, if you find yourself saying, I could never, you're really just kind of putting yourself in a place that is dangerous and says that, you know, I'm here and I'm not gonna be there. But like, that's part of, I think, what led to our reconciliation is the realization that I am as broken. And there is this propensity for me to do the, the very same things and the very fact that I just didn't do it is like, I'm not better. I just go, oh, there's a broken part in me too. And I can see that brokenness in me and I can see that brokenness in her, Mm -hmm. which made it easier for me to walk into forgiveness that way. So I think, yeah, holding that loosely. Uh, Great. And then the, uh, the last thought I have, uh, I'd love to hear you guys share is um, for the church, you know, Mm -hmm. what, what advice would you give to the church, you know, Mm -hmm. with, with these processes and what that looks like? I mean, um, I mean, this is our way of doing it, you know, trying to be a place where we can't talk about anything. And and largely the encouragement for you guys is not to, uh, well, the encouragement is, is that, yeah, if there's something you're going through that um, confession is the first step of it, um, we're not going to throw you up on this stage (laughs) and and make you do this. I mean, this is unique in the granted that this is already a public conversation. So, it's more of an opportunity to yeah. also publicly address mm-hmm. the process. Um, and we've shared stories in which we've talked about very difficult things and often those have been volunteered things. So um, know that we're not trying to course anyone to use the story Certainly for any not. advantage we have. Right. Um, but that being said, you know, even for us as we continue to grow as a church and then for other churches out there that, you mm-hmm. know, might be listening, I mean, what, what advice should we be offering churches, you know, with looking at these circumstances? Yeah, I think the first thing is, can it be a safe place to ask anything? So we opened ourselves up and I was, I mean, I had friends text me like are people really strangers you're asking you guys these questions and I was like yeah like I want to be an open book to a degree some of them I was like I can't believe you had the balls to ask that and we didn't answer them Um, but some of them like can we even be a safe place where people are invited to ask things about sexuality or find like all these different things that we struggle with there's not even a safety one to confess but two to ask the questions and so I think creating this conversation maybe can help with that and help questions be asked and help dialogue happen around the table in our community groups. Um, Because if there's no safety to even begin asking the questions, there's no safety to even talk about these things. And so I think, um, yeah, I think that would be my answer. Yeah, I think the first thing I would say, I was slow down, Mm. you know, slow down. I think there's always this reaction, right? When something happens, it's like, we got to fix it. We got it. It's like all hands on deck. There's an issue. There's trauma. And like, I get where that comes from. But I think uh, we would benefit from slowing down a little bit and just taking some time to breathe and pray. Uh, The second thing I'd I'd say is to undergird that with wise counsel. Um, Whenever something like this happens, you get a bunch of people in a room who claim to be experts and have never gone through it. And so they have lots of ideas and thoughts about how something should go. Mm -hmm. And I go, "Eh, I don't know that you're the right person to be be talking about that. So finding counsel, uh, you know, if you want heart surgery, you go see a heart surgeon, right? Like that's just how it works. And so I think bringing, you know, licensed therapists into a room because 
there is a sensitivity to re-victimization mm-hmm. and how you handle people in the midst of trauma because right. that, I mean, adding that to a situation is, is, a, is a terrible thing. Um, so I think slowing down, finding wise counsel, bringing in wisdom, I think would be a huge way. And then again, we, we talked about this, is just we've gotta be a people who are willing to sit in pain and suffering with people. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and, and as I've learned as a pastor and teacher, uh, Happiness is not the thing that I think that Jesus is moving us to. In reality, I think what Jesus is moving us to is suffering. he's, He's leading this life and showing us this is how virtue, this is what it looks like to form yourself into the image of Christ, is to walk in these things well, to suffer well, to not just escape, to not numb out, to not medicate, to not hide, to not repress, Mm -hmm. but to actually engage these things in a healthy way, I think is really where where Jesus moves us to in the story. And so, you know, for the church, it's like, let's just be the kind of people who can sit who right. can sit with people in hurt and pain and not feel like we have to fix it right away. Like, you know, it's okay. Like we can process this slowly. And I forget the statistic, but the amount of pastors um, or even staff who stick around at a church after being paraded, mm. uh, I think it's like 1% to actually stick with the church and they have to go find somewhere else to kind of begin and start anew. And I, I feel like that's our story, but I feel like how can we make a church where people can feel safe even to stay mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. they confess? And so I think that's, yeah. Yeah. The church is notorious for business models that right. don't work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, right. 1% growth, tons of money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my goodness. But uh, you know, I'll, Levity, but all that aside, um, thank you guys so much for yeah. you know for continuing to share this and walk through this. And um, oh, yes, want to do that? Sure. sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Right. You want to repeat that? Um, yeah. So if I can kind of just repeat or summarize the question was, um, at, at any point during this process, was, was there a conversation that um, brought attention to the fact that sin is sin? You know, right. there's, there is a sin here, but I think what you're also saying is that, you know, these types of stories lean to so many other things too for right. folks that have other sin, right? Mm. And But it's often, I think, kind of the point even making is that affairs are the things and the scandal that kind of gets the most attention in a church when right. a lot of a lot of time I mean how often do we bring up someone who was like man I was really greedy and I kind of blew a ton of the church's money <laughs> but I you know, I reconciled that and I'm up here now and I'm the accountant again right, so, um, <laughs> right? I mean haven't right. heard that one yet right. um so it's like that, but that's. It, well, I think that that speaks to largely, um, and we've I've shared this at Vox is that you know churches need to build a robust theology around sex and sexuality because it's one of those things that I think the church doesn't really know how to handle, and so it's like you're left with one of two options: either one, you just kind of let it go and do its own thing, or you repress it. 
And we know how either one of those things turns out, right? So how do we develop a robust sexual ethic? How do we deal with this thing in our church? How do we talk about this in a healthy way? What's the right way to, to process it? Because you're right, um, Jeffrey, you know that question, it's like, it, it never, it's always elevated. Sex and sin sex is always elevated as this, this thing, and it's like. We say all sin's equal. Right. But when it happens, this one's a lot right. sexier to talk about. Right. Yeah. Pun intended. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. But I think too, your question is like, did we have a conversation like we don't have to be in this kind of abuse? And I think we didn't feel, we felt like we were so hunkered in the process that this is what we had to do to make it. And I think we didn't realize at the time there was another That's option. Good. And I think on the other side, he was our sole provider. And so that also meant giving up a salary and insurance. And I think we were scared of that. And I think hindsight, like maybe we would have said, you know what, we don't have to go through this abuse. We'll figure, I'll work at McDonald's. Like I'm not above that. And we'll make things work. And I think like, I don't know if, if yeah. we could do this again, maybe we wouldn't have just bowed down to this process where people are making decisions about us and not even talking to us. And looking back, like I, I don't want that yeah. for anybody. And um, it makes me sad that we went through that now and so i appreciate your question and yeah yeah thanks jeffrey, thanks, jeffrey. um what we will have to do we'll kind of have to move forward and yeah. uh, you know it's you know not to say we're rushing out of this you know but this has been great um so uh we're actually we're going to take communion um i'm gonna let yeah. ronnie go ahead and set that up but you know just a thought is just kind of um you know that's the thing when whenever we approach jesus whenever we approach eucharist um if we're really if we're really seeking to connect, um, we don't walk away from those things unchallenged. Mm-hmm. We don't walk away from those things feeling like there's nothing to sacrifice, you know. And right. um, uh, for many folks, taking you know the church has uh, predominantly said that you know you can't take communion unless you've already kind of confessed that you know Christ is your savior. But for many of us, we actually consider communion perhaps the first step mm-hmm. into yes. you know building friendship and um, getting to know who Jesus even is. Right. Um, I feel like Jesus would be the one standing out of his own front door at his house, waiting for people to come by and actually mm-hmm. just inviting people in and saying, yeah, eat with me, get to know me, let me share something with you. And so, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, some of the thoughts that I'm thinking about is just, yeah, if, if today is a day of confession for you, um, I would say like, don't, don't push that off. Uh, we have our community pastors that are here. They're in orange lanyards. Um, you could find one of them, um, talk to and them, us. whatever that looks like. Us, yeah. Um, of course, uh, Ronnie and Natalia, uh, care at voxoc.com. If, um, if email is kind of the way to go today. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we, you know, we gather, and again, I said this earlier, the, the focal point of the reason we gather here is to, to partake in, in, in the life and death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and, and communion is that. It's this, uh, for Jesus, it was this political statement, right? I mean, in the midst of uh, uh, shame and guilt culture and an honor-shame society, uh, he, he purposely sat with people who would have been considered outside and not, not worthy of being able to partake, and yet he invited them to the table and said, no, here, partake of my body and my blood. This is for you. And so I don't know what you've carried into this place. I don't know what you're carrying currently. Um, But if you feel like, man, I don't know that I can, I think that's where Jesus invites you deeper uh, into intimacy. And and much like a relationship, uh, communion is the deepest intimate part of the relationship with Jesus. I mean, it doesn't, this is like the climax. This is the culmination of our relationship saying, um, we, get to, we get to be with you um, and share all of ourselves with you. And there is no shame and there is no guilt and you are not condemned, um, but you're actually invited. You're actually forgiven. That, that, that grace 
that is um, so transformative uh, is available to you. And so uh, this morning, uh, the invitation is open for you to partake in communion. We have uh, gluten-free communion over there. Um, there's communion over here regular. We'll have our community pastors who would be happy to serve you and pray with you. Uh, there's prayer walls up here as well. You can um, use those as well. The band's gonna play a little bit, um, and then you guys will get a chance to, to partake as you feel led. All right. Thank you, guys. Oh, this is my son, Dallas. I think you guys have probably seen him before. You say hi. <laughs> hey, uh, Vox, thank you for letting my wife and I share our story with you guys. Um, and I just pray that, like, as a community, we'd continue to walk in vulnerability and truth and honesty and safety. Because I really, I really think that's where change and transformation happens in the life of a community like this. Um, so thank you for your commitment to this place. Thank you for being a part of it. Um, as you go, go in God's grace, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.